Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Freedom Talks podcast. This is your host, Brady, and today I'm here with one of our physical therapists, Trenton Raymond. Is that how you say your last name? Yep, it's Raymond. Raymond, okay. And today, Trenton's going to talk about his orthopedic residency that he did um, after he had finished his normal uh, kind of track on the DPT program uh, before he got hired here at Freedom. And we just, I wanted to ask him a few questions about what the benefits are of doing an uh, orthopedic residency like he did. And um, then we're going to talk a little bit uh, about hips because that's one of Trenton's focuses and uh, he's very good with those and has an interest there. So uh, Trenton, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brady. Thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. All right. So let's get kind of right into it. So, mm-hmm. well, first of all, let's go. Where? How did you become interested in PT? First of all. So I played a lot of sports growing up, and I had some. Luckily, no major injuries, but everybody has like rolled ankles and things. So, our athletic trainer at my high school is actually also a physical therapist. So he kind of got me introduced, um, and then a family friend of ours was. Uh, a physical therapist as well and just kind of being treated on the side and then shadowing her I got introduced to the field and then once I got to Marquette for my undergrad I had to do a lot of shadowing just to get even eligible to get into the program and just seeing the 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 profession firsthand through shadowing got me really drawn to how big of a difference we can make for people so uh so you did your undergrad at Marquette um and then you did your PT school also at Marquette? Correct, yeah. So okay. I got my exercise physiology um, undergraduate degree at Marquette, okay. as well as my doctorate in physical therapy. So they have a direct admit program oh, and you got where into you that. go right into their okay. doctorate right after your undergrad. Okay, so that turns out that's, I mean, breaking it up, it looks more like three and three, correct? Yeah, it's like... Ultimately? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you it's, save it's, a year, right, off of a normal track? Yeah. Okay. So you're, it's kind of three and a half, two and a half, going okay. year-round for that two and a half. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, and then after that, you were out in Madison, if I remember correctly, right? Right. And that's a question we get all the time, or I, I got all the time as a resident, is yeah. are you a student? Okay. And that's, so the and answer te- is... Te- technically, no, right? No. Yeah. So even to be eligible for a residency, which I'll get into what it, what it is... But even to be eligible, you have to have um, an entry-level degree in physical therapy first. Okay. So the track is you have to graduate um, with your, and well, now doctorate. Okay. Um, before you can even get into a residency program. Um, so, so you have your doctorate. You, you get into this residency program. I guess from your personal standpoint and maybe students that might be listening to this, what's the... What was the benefit for you, or what were you looking to get out of that? Right. So um, there's a ton of benefits from a residency, and basically what a residency even is is it's a post-professional program that you go into to get further training in a particular area of physical therapy. Okay. When you graduate with uh, just with your doctorate, you're a generalist. Like You yeah. can treat mm-hmm. anything. You can go into any setting. A residency is designed to kind of expedite the process of you getting into your desired field and getting better at specializing. Okay. So I chose to do an orthopedic residency 
for that reason. And in that particular residency, the reason I did it uh, was for that educational piece. You're treating full time, but you have a mentor or multiple. So it kind of eases that process of um, going right from being a student to an independent practitioner. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of bounce ideas off them and they help you grow quicker than you would by yourself. So that, okay, so that, that makes sense. So that's never really been explained to me exactly what, like what the benefit is. And that makes a lot of sense because we do get new hires here uh, at Freedom that are kind of directly out of college. And um, <clears throat> I feel like we have a pretty strong mentorship kind of program or mentorship. Um, I don't know. We, we have that ideal at Freedom where we take our young therapists and we really get them uh, acquainted with uh, older therapists that have specialties that they might have an interest in. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see how, you know, obviously that made for you appealing to freedom um, yeah. as, a, as someone who's looking for a job to be like, hey, I, I'm already on my way to specializing. Absolutely. Um, and being able to treat this, this one area really well. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And another benefit, too. So the clinical piece is huge. Mm -hmm. And different residencies are set up different ways. So... Um, in mine, there was a lot of manual therapy, a lot of orthopedic specialty and direct access training, which is huge yep. um, now that we have direct access. Yeah. yeah. But then the other piece is that um, the APTA actually values a residency equal, and they kind of rough number it, but to like three to five years experience. Oh, wow. So I can sit now for my orthopedic specialty, orthopedic certification specialty exam, the OCS. Yeah. Uh, in this coming February, where normally it takes three, three five to five years, years wow. to even qualify to sit for it. Okay. So that's a second benefit is you can sit for your specialization um, earlier. So, yeah, earlier as well as clinically feeling ready. Okay. Um, and then obviously, so you, you get this experience, you kind of get this um, ju jump start where you want to go. Um, how did you then kind of end up at freedom like did you know someone or did you were, were we just the kind of company that you wanted to seek out so um that's an awesome question and i was just talking about this the other day actually uh so as part of the residency program they take like six different students to be part of the residency okay and or after they graduate and um, one student gets to go with a private practice that paired with UW-Madison. Okay. And that's the company that I actually worked with during my residency. So okay. I did my schooling and residency stuff at Madison, mm -hmm. but my full-time work was with Advanced Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine in Appleton. Oh, okay. And that's the company that paired with, um, with, with the UW Health System to do it. Okay. The reason I'm saying that is because during treating with them, once I was done with my year, they recommended since I was moving back towards Milwaukee, Freedom as like the premier so, clinic well, to go to. That That's cool that uh, we're being recognized by another company. Mm -hmm. But actually, uh, the connection we have with Advanced is Mike teaches TMJ courses to their therapists up in Appleton. That's right. That's right. Um, um, so that might be why at least they, they, they know about us. Mm -hmm. um, so the owner, Rob Worth, is, yep. he spoke volumes about freedom and I think that actually might be I think you're right that that connection kind of stems from those TMJ courses and um, 
I know they at least discuss like business type things yep. um, because being private practice, they they do things similar. And that's yeah. what I was looking for is the one-on-one treatment care, higher level care um, with a lot of emphasis on manual therapy, which I developed through residency. And I felt like that transition was great from advance to freedom. Yeah. Um, so like how, like how similar, so like at freedom, we've got 45 minute appointment times, you generally get, you know, something afterwards, whether it's ultrasound or exercise guidance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how and it's and it's one on one. Is it is that kind of similar similar appointment times, similar setting at advanced? Yeah, um, I think it was a very easy transition because okay. of that fact. They okay. their one on one treatment um, policies is the exact same. Okay, um, the treatment times like the appointments are almost like identical with how they schedule and um yeah they just both companies have a great uh, mindset and mentality towards hey we're going to get you better it's going to be hands-on we're going to give you individualized attention and those are those overlap that's good to Mm -hmm. see that we're not the only one that carries that uh absolutely that mindset Mm -hmm. um so i guess is there you know if if you're going to give any advice to someone coming out of, of PT school, would you advise to go this route or uh, take a different route? Um, is it, I, I didn't ask you this, but is it paid? Is your residency pay or do you have to pay for that or how does that work? Both. Both? <laughs> so, okay. um, you get paid during residency, but it's a reduced salary. Okay. Roughly two thirds of what you would normally make. Okay. Like the average starting so salary. Just about, livable. Yeah. Essentially. So you have to pay um, like an education fee to the university, okay, and then also a mentorship fee. So the mentors that hire on to be part of the program get yep. like a little stipend or pay. Yeah, okay. so you contribute to that, um, and then you get your salary. They pay you for the hours that you treat unmentored. So oh, as okay. you would be if you were an independent practitioner. Gotcha. The time spent for mentoring and uh, at Madison is the time you paid for. Gotcha. So th- they're not going to pay you for that time you paid for. So how, how much? How much in class versus like out of class was that? Yeah. So every program does it different. Okay. There is certain requirements that you have to meet to be even like accredited as a a true residency. Okay. So that's across the board. Sure. Through Madison, mine was about. It was like every other week. I was in Madison for two days. Okay. And then all the other time was down in um, at Advanced. Okay. I would still get mentorship at Advanced from their practitioners who are OCS certified and mentors. Um, But then the actual like schooling portions where you take like the advanced learning was down at Madison every other week for two days. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so OCS remind the audience what that uh, stands for. So that is an orthopedic certified specialist. And I guess what um, what does that certification kind of show that you've accomplished? What does it show you've accomplished that can help a patient population? Right. So the letters themselves, all they say is that you've sat and passed an exam, mm-hmm. that sure. you've proven you have specialized in an area and you have basically... Um, extended knowledge in orthopedics. Okay. The process to get there prepares you very well for the direct access things, like because now we can see people right away. Yep. And we have to decide if we can even treat them or if we should be referring them. Okay. 
once you've decided if you can treat it, the process of getting your OCS basically helps you develop patterns quicker and helps you know the research and the clinical evidence to support the best treatment for that. Okay. So all it does is it basically gives you a quicker diagnosis and a fast track to the best treatment. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you still can't technically diagnose, right? Or can you? It's the same rules apply. So okay. you don't get any added, like, yeah. like, like, um, like, <laughs> you don't get added any added benefits that maybe a doctor would have compared to a PT. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can't do any of those special things because yep. you have OCS. It yep. just says that you've done training that you're um, recognized as, you know, the, the leader in that area. Okay. All right. So, uh, so kind of in that same vein of uh, orthopedics, we're going to talk a little bit next about uh, femoral acetabular impingement or FAI. Um, so I guess it's a quick transition, but it's something that you're passionate about. So we kind of wanted to talk about that and give the, the audience some uh, kind of information about that. Uh, so what is FAI to begin with? Yeah, so great question. And I love treating the hip. Um, during the residency, we talked a lot about, so we go through units of how to treat everything, you know, and specialize in any like part of the body. Okay. I gravitated towards the spine, cervical spine, low back, and directly related to the low back. To be good at treating it, you have to treat the hip. Sure. It's just so intertwined. So in that process, I learned a lot about this, um, this uh, diagnosis called FAI. And it stands for femoral acetabular impingement. And what it is is a disorder of the hip where there's early contact between your leg and your pelvis. Okay. And it, it just causes, like, rubbing and impingement that can lead to breakdown of the joint. Okay. Um, so basically what happens is there, there's different types. So there's three types. A cam lesion, which is where the head of your femur, the round part. So, like, so before this, let's remind everyone, like, what's, what's the anatomy of the, of the hip? Yeah, okay. So the hip is basically made up of uh, your femur bone, which is your leg bone. Yep. Which there's a basically a shaft into the head of the femur, which is like a ball. Yep. And that fits into a socket piece called your acetabulum, which is on your pelvic bone or your hip. Okay. So that's the joint. Around that acetabulum is some cartilage called your labrum, mm -hmm. and that'll play in later with kind of the symptoms, but basically it just deepens the socket and gives you more stability in the hip. Okay. And that's cartilaginous, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the cam lesion, the first type of... FAI is when the head of the femur isn't as round as it's supposed to be. It kind of overgrows or it's just not a perfect sphere. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't fit into the socket as well. Okay. So when you move your hip into flexion or external rotation, um, it hits the, the rim of the acetabulum too early. Okay. And that can lead to breakdown of that, basically that rim, that labrum, and then eventually the bone. And then that leads to arthritis, right? Yeah, it, okay. can. it can. It can. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second type is a pincer lesion, which is just the opposite. Instead of the ball being malformed, it's the socket. Okay. So the acetabulum kind of overgrows, and it's just too much coverage, so there's less room to move. Okay. And the third type is just if they're both happening. It's called mixed. Okay. You, you basically have the sphere of the femur and then the acetabulum too. So there was so just to recap, there's three types. There's pincer, cam, and combined. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so... So you kind of went went over so so pincer again was 
can you remind me it was if the the socket the is socket overgrown. Is it's, overgrown. It's covering too much of the leg. Okay. And then the cam is if the ball is overgrown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the transition between the neck of the femur yep. and that ball that kind of fits into the hip. Okay. It just there's like an overgrowth there. Gotcha. Okay. Um so I guess so I was kind of like doing some minor research beforehand. So there was something called the impingement test and uh what what is that and what is that help doctors uh like does that help them diagnose or um what i guess was what that what does that entail so true diagnosis um you need to take like an x-ray or an mri to see if it's actually happening but there's clinical tests we can use to say yeah there's a pretty good chance that you have fai okay one of them is like an impingement test or sometimes they'll call it a modified circumduction test okay they're just different clinical things that we put the body in a position and we bias that leg into a pinching spot. Okay. That shouldn't hurt. <laughs> okay. And if it does, we say, oh, maybe that's because Something's one of those two things is happening. Okay. Yeah. And they wouldn't know whether it was a cam pincer combined unless they had imaging. Yeah, right. Okay. And you can you can kind of speculate, but the only way to know is with the image. So I guess does it does it matter? Um, if it's a pincer cam or combined, or does it just matter if you have FAI in general? So the difference would be in if a surgical team is going in, what they're fixing and how they're going to repair it. Okay. Um, from a therapy standpoint, our goal is to offload that joint. So cam versus pincer could determine like which positions we're suggesting. Oh, sure. But in general a lot of the impingement occurs at the same place. It's just where it's coming from. Gotcha. So either way, we're trying to avoid that spot. Okay. And it's a lot of just education on correct positioning. Yeah, so I guess there's like there's a couple different ways to look at it. So if, if someone comes in, they maybe have a diagnosis of FAI or it's suspected, they get sent to physical therapy. Like what, are, what is your progression that you're taking this patient through? It's a Great question. And so conservative care is pretty good for FAI. Being that it is a bony overgrowth, we're not going to change it. Sure. Right? So we can't do much therapeutically that's going to, like, change what's going on in the hip. Mm -hmm. What we can change is the strength around the hip, basically your body's ability to stabilize that so that it's, you know, not causing any further degeneration. Okay. And then on the pain aspect, because along with this diagnosis, you're going to have pain. That's kind of how you know you have it. Okay. Um, we can address those pain levels with our modalities and mobilizations of the hip to make it feel better. Okay. And then if conservative treatment doesn't work, is the next step to go change that hip specifically, or are they getting sent to like a pain doc maybe in between there, or what's the next step? So... They're still figuring that out. Okay. FAI, in, in the terms of healthcare, is a relatively new diagnosis. Okay. Um, in the recent past, there's been a lot more research done on it, but with any research, it takes time to become practice. Sure. And it take, I think it yeah. average like 10 years before like they're confirming what we should be doing in the Which clinic. Which is for good reason, too, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're doing all of these clinical studies to mm-hmm. make sure that if they do a surgery on the regular that they're not messing up exactly. thousands of people, right? Right, yeah. So. And, um, but basically, so it's, it's one of two courses. They'll try an injection in the hip 
which has been relatively successful. Is that cortisone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that just helps with the pain and inflammation because with this process, the, the, the rubbing, there's an inflammatory process. So the cortisone can help. Okay. So it's more of a pain controller. Sure. On the other end, they've tried some surgeries and they're still fine tuning, like what's the best way to do it. But there's some pretty successful surgeries going on. Most of them are arthroscopic. So if conservative treatment fails, they'll typically go to an injection. And then if that isn't the answer, then they'll go to that surgical procedure. Um, so I guess the one question I have, so you mentioned the labrum, are there, is there like an increased risk of labral tears with this? Um, I don't, it's, uh, some people have like groin pain and, and problems with, with their labrum or know they have problems with their labrum and that's what causing their problem. Like, should they be worried about maybe having FAI or asking their doctor about FAI? Yeah. So it's kind of, um, so with FAI, there is increased compression at the joint, and with that, you're going to get increased friction of the labrum. Okay. If it tears, if it wears away, I mean, it would theoretically, yeah, there's an increased risk, and they've shown that with some research, you're at a higher risk for a labral tear. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get one. Sure. But, um, you know, enough load in that position with that bony kind of growth, um, it's, it's a pretty high risk. Okay. So... You know, once the labral tear happens, then um, you have your typical <laughs> pain symptoms, like you said, pain yeah. in the groin, in your buttock, um, kind of your lateral, the outside of your hip. Yep. And once that happens, you kind of have the idea that we're getting into some joint tissue. Okay. Um, and then, so I guess, so you said they have sur like surgeries for FAI arthroscopically. Like, if there's a labral tear with that, will they try to shave down any kind of, like, bony overgrowth while they're in there trying to, to repair the labrum, or is that two separate things? Or Yeah. Different surgeons have different approaches. Okay. Most of them, once they get in there, they'll decide what they need to address. Okay. Most of the surgeries will include at least one, if not multiple, aspects of shaving down the bone to create more room, trimming that labral rim just so that there's not fraying and inflammatory tissue. Okay. And then even going as far as um, I'm just fixing some of the, the joint arthritis, any degeneration that might be already in there. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, is there any, uh, are there any cases of this that have been so bad that they decide to do like a hip replacement? So I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> the, the typical time for the replacement is if the, what they look at on the image, like on the x-ray, is if there's just no room left in the hip. Okay. So typically that's associated with arthritis. Knowing that FAI can be a precursor to arthritis, <laughs> it stands to reason, yeah, maybe it's led to some, but you don't know that. Sure. It, it, it might not just have been directed. so new again, mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't know. Right. Okay. Um, so I guess kind of some interesting things from my, my end, um, I'm super into athletics. I know you you were super into athletics. So I was looking at some studies, um, and they they have done some in the past few years studies um, to kind of try to understand FAI and maybe how it develops. And so it was uh, they found that. Uh, adolescent males who participated in ice hockey, basketball, and to a lesser extent, soccer, whilst performing a minimum of three training sessions 
and games per week are currently at the greatest risk of developing a CAM deformity and potential progressing to symptomatic hip impingement. And that was a study done by De Silva. Um, and I think that was in 2016. Um, so I, and they, I, I think the way they did this study is essentially they just asked, they did, they did a broad study and they asked a bunch of these people like, did you do this range of activities while you were in your teenage years? And that population, those, those three sports, so hockey, soccer, uh, and basketball, uh, all had a higher incident rate of FAI in their adult years, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So I guess, does that surprise you? Or, I mean, like hockey, there's a lot of hip stuff, and I guess there's a lot of jumping and things with, with basketball, but I guess how how would those activities potentially change the, the shape maybe of the hip that it might cause that in the future? Right. Um, that's That was an interesting study, and... Other studies, <clears throat> other studies have kind of given similar information on basically what we take from the research right now is that potentially people who participate, um, specifically men, in any sport that you have excessive range of motion into flexion, like when your knee comes up towards your hip okay. or towards your chest, sure. or any rotation, so like that internal or external twisting of, of the hip, Sure. If you're loading while in that position, uh, the bone gets excessive stress. And the way bones respond to stress is by laying down more material. Okay. So if you're doing that all the time, in a position where you're pinching that hip together, your body will potentially lay down more bone there. And that is exactly what FAI is. Okay. So that so theoretically that makes sense, and they're kind of seeing that in, in studies too. Right. Okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's in, interest, interesting, uh, I thought at least. Um, yeah. and, and it is, like I said, you can't say necessarily yet, but the, the research is starting to show, yeah, these hyper flexed positions while loading or rotation positions could potentially be leading to some of that bony so, overgrowth in the future. So, so I guess other than, uh, not doing those activities, to decrease your chance. Is there anything to be said for, because obviously it's bone that's laying down more growth, and if you're doing that a lot, then yeah, you're gonna get more bony overgrowth. But um, like, is playing different sports or doing strength training, do you think that would ever lead to a, a decreased risk of, risk of FAI or maybe just hide symptoms? I, I don't know. Right. I'm not exactly sure, um, but just, you know, my, my theoretical guess there, educated guess, would be avoiding the same repetitive position over and over again could help decrease the, the potential risk of that one spot becoming an area that your body's like, I need to lay down more bone. Okay. So variety of movements and positions can help to disperse the stress throughout the, the hip so that one spot isn't taking the brunt. Um, but in any position, so strengthening and coordination of controlling the hip joint is very important. So okay. if you're going through some hockey motions, right, and you're sloppy, and the joint is the stabilizer and not the muscles, oh. that's more stress. Sure. So we call it proprioceptive training, but basically the coordination or 
neuromuscular education of the joint, knowing when to support, when to turn on and off, um, can help decrease the stress in the bones of the hip. Okay. So that would be my thought. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, that was, that was a good answer. I, so this has been a, a really interesting conversation. I'm glad you could we could schedule this with you. Um, I guess, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to give to anybody? or? Well, no, just thank you so much for having me, and um, hopefully people learned a little bit about what a residency is. Um, I think it's an awesome trend for the future of physical therapy. I think it's going to become a lot more common okay. and a lot more um, well-respected because right now it's a little bit of an unknown. Sure. Um, but then with... Um, you know, just with the idea of FAI, it's good to know that there are conservative treatments to try before going right to surgery, but that even if there is surgery that's done, a PT can help on the back end, so. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. You too. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.